Welcome to the Scuffed Podcast. I'm Adam Bells in Minneapolis. With me is Greg Velasquez in Des Moines. We talk about U.S. men's soccer. Now, I don't want to give the impression that we'll have an exclusive interview on the pod every week, but we do for the second episode in a row. 22-year-old Ja'Cory Hayes has burst onto the scene in MLS this season for FC Dallas, starting all six games at center mid. Dallas is unbeaten, and Hayes has been crucial to that success. He's got a game-winning goal and an assist under his belt, and he's been extremely active defensively, quick to win the ball back, and clean in possession. In my humble estimation, he is beginning to build a case for a call-up to the national team. He joined the podcast on the phone a few days before Dallas faces NYCFC at Yankee Stadium in a big match on Sunday night. Jacory, welcome to the podcast. Appreciate you joining us. How you doing, man? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you bet. We'll get into hopefully a lot of on-field stuff in a minute, but first let's talk about your background. You grew up in a military family, right? Uh, yes, my mother was in the Air Force. So where did you, where did you grow up? Uh, I grew up in Bowie, Maryland. My mother uh, did, I believe, a couple years stationed at Andrews Air Force Base. Uh, and then after that, she was done. Uh, so she went on to law school, and now she's a, a patent attorney. Cool, cool. So how did you get into soccer? Um, it was just through Boys and Girls Club. So you know, I was signed up for like football, baseball, soccer. I did karate, all that stuff. Um, and, you know, kind of kind of started quitting different sports as I got more involved with soccer. So it was never really like a, I didn't come from like a soccer family or my parents didn't watch soccer or anything. It just kind of, uh, just kind of happened for me. Um, so I started around like probably seven, seven years old, just with the boys and girls club, just playing, uh, as one of the fall sports, you know, sort of thing. And it just kind of grew on me. Nice. When did you realize you were really good at it? Uh, I, I started taking it a lot more seriously, I'd say around 12 years old. Uh, it was when I was on like a travel team from like, at like nine years old, uh, nine to 11, I was on my like local travel team. And then, uh, around like 12 years old, uh, there was a, another club called Bethesda that, you know, serious ballers were at or in the area. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my, my skills weren't there yet for, to be on that team, but, you know, I, tried out and was able to make it and so it kind of pushed me to the next level I think that's when I started taking it a lot more seriously you know practices were starting to be like an hour away driving um just like a bigger commitment from the whole family uh, so it kind of took that on around 12. Okay yeah that is a big commitment for the family so your parents got must have gotten in gotten into soccer yeah I mean they knew I loved it you know it's kind of supporting my my dream of playing continue playing um and then of course like as as i'm playing my dad's starting to watch more games uh, on tv and stuff and you know trying to give me tips and pointers and stuff like that and then my my mom is learning more and more about the game uh as i was taking it more seriously so and you know i have three younger siblings who all love to play soccer and you know like the youngest one my little brother he you know he doesn't really play any other sports he just grew up immediately playing soccer so it's it quickly turned into a soccer family. Nice. Skipping ahead quite a bit here. So you chose to go to college, spent four years at Wake yep. Forest. Uh, mm-hmm. Why'd you do that? And did you ever have second thoughts about that decision from a, you know, from a soccer perspective? Uh, 
I no, I didn't have any second thoughts. Uh, I played for Baltimore Bay's academy growing up, so there was no uh, there was no professional immediate step for me to go professional right out of high school. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the path was always, you know, go to college. You know, if I do really well, try to get a generation Adidas contract. But you know, the mindset was always, you know, I was going to go to college, and you know, soccer was going to allow me to go to college on a, a scholarship um, and, you know, who, who knows how long I'd be in school if, if it goes really, really well, but the plan was always college. I didn't really have an outlet to go immediately from high school to professional. Right, right. You majored in physics, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, yes. That's right. Do you think, so, so I, I asked people on Twitter today for questions I should ask you, and I thought this was a good one. Do you think of the game in terms of vectors and free body diagrams? <laughs> uh, uh, no, no, but I'm, I'm having flashbacks on doing that a lot during the during my years of physics. Um, no, <laughs> I, I don't do all that, uh, but, you know, it's, it's definitely a lot of mental um, – a mental capacity, you know, a lot of thinking through in the game, where to be and stuff like that on the field uh, that goes into, you know, just being a, a good soccer player. And so hopefully I'm trying to learn from, you know, the better players out there and trying to apply that. So it is, it's, doesn't directly apply, but I think just trying to move, maneuver yourself smartly around the field is, is a huge aspect. Yeah. That's a heavy duty major, man. A lot of people go to college and study yeah. English or something and, that's that's another level. Um, yeah, it was tough. A lot of late nights. I bet. I bet. You got most. You got most of your minutes last year in USL for the Tulsa Roughnecks. Two part question: What did you gain from that experience? How are you better now than you were twelve months ago? Uh, honestly, that was the best experience for me um, last season. Getting minutes with Tulsa. Um, you know, in the moment, it kind of. It, it was rough because he was like, man, does Dallas want me? Um, you know, am I good enough to play in the MLS? You know, I'm getting sent out four hours away to play for a USL team. Um, you know, it was like things weren't really going well for me at Dallas. And so it was mentally, it was a tough period for me at, at the beginning, um, being sent over to Tulsa, um, just trying to keep my mind focused, like, okay, like, this can help me. Um, maybe Dallas does still want me, that sort of thing. Um, and but talking to my parents and, you know, reading some books and talking to my agents and stuff like that, just staying mentally focused and, you know, trying to use this as a, a springboard to help me out in Dallas and hopefully get minutes later on in the future. Um, and, you know, playing at Tulsa just gave me confidence in myself. And I, I realized I was coming I was going back and forth between Tulsa and Dallas. So I trained during the week in Dallas and play games in Tulsa. Huh. And I would notice, you know, in training sessions in Dallas, I'm a lot more confident. Um, I'm asking for the ball a lot better. You know, the things are starting to fall for me in training at Dallas just because I was getting games and minutes at Tulsa. Um, so it, it made the world a difference. Um, you know, it just kind of helped me out in the confidence perspective and, kind of relax my nerves a little bit playing in games because it's you know I've, this is a game I've been playing since I was so young but you know it was like man the, at first when I got the debut in Kansas City it was like man the lights are super bright you know what's going on um, it was yeah. kind of whirlwind of an experience uh, but they kind of the, the game that Tulsa kind of settled my nerves and you know this is just another game you know it, it relaxed myself and just gave me more confidence fascinating yeah 
USL. I mean, I've been paying a lot more attention to USL this year. It's full of it's full of promising young players. What should we yeah. What should we be watching for? You know, as sort of fans and analysts to figure out who is ready to make the jump that you've made this year. Yeah, there's a lot of good players in in the USL ranks. I mean, it's like it's like any other level. You know, there's teams that play good style of brand, uh, good style of soccer, and there's some teams that a little bit more direct and, you know, rely more on the physical aspect. So, I mean, I feel like if you just pay attention to the teams that, you know, I guess it, it depends on what style you like. If you like the, the technical, you know, passing possession style teams, just pay attention to them and you'll see young players that are doing really good stuff that, you know, maybe haven't been given a chance yet or mm-hmm. their opportunity is coming soon to make the jump into the MLS. But there, there's a lot of there's a lot of good players in the USL. Yeah, it seems that way. I mean, you're you're a really good example of that. Um, okay, brass tacks. Are you a six or an eight? Um, I, 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 as an eight, um, you know, I feel like I'm able to help out the team defensively, um, and and also I have something to offer offensively going forward. Um, I feel like something that I want to work to work on it's still like the going forward piece you know the, the final touches and the final third but I mean I feel like I can contribute both and in both aspects of that for the team so you so you're more of a box-to-box midfielder at least yes. right now okay which which center mids in the global game do you admire what do, who do you model your game after um I kind of steal. I want to steal pieces from a lot of different players. Um, but growing up, it was always the Chavi and Iniesta uh, duo that I that I absolutely loved. Um, so I grew up just watching them. You know, watching rewatching games, um, trying to study what they're doing. So that they were absolutely fascinating to me to watch them play. It's, it sounds like it sounds like you say you want to you want to get better at. Um in the attack, although I thought that was an awfully tidy finish against New England the other day. What, what <laughs> do you, you, you're, you're welcome. What do you, what do you have to do to get better? Uh, I think just like final touches on like maybe a the through ball or, you know, that's the final pass to set up my teammate. Um, some strikes from outside of 18, you know, that kind of forces the defense to, you know, step out a little bit and then it makes it easier for the other players to, you know, create their own space in the, in the 18. Um, so there, there's definitely things uh, that I, I want to improve on and get better. What's your mindset in the middle of the field? I mean, how do you stay calm? Because you you appear to be very calm, almost like relaxed. Uh, how do you how do you do that? Is that something you can teach, or is that something innate to players? You know what I'm asking? I, I yeah, I don't really know how I would or I could teach someone. I think that's just more my personality just showing on the field. Um, I'm pretty a relaxed guy off the field, um, not easily angered, just kind of try to roll things off my back, try to, you know, just stay calm off the field. And I think that kind of translate on the field and in certain situations, just kind of being relaxed on the ball. I gotta, I gotta ask you a fashion. I gotta ask you a fashion question before we get back to more serious stuff. You got the, um, okay. you, you, you tuck your shirt in a lot. It seems like, and um, yeah, and you got those, you got those shorts up pretty high. To talk, to t- talk about that a little bit. <laughs> uh, yeah, just uh, the tucked in jersey is uh, that's kind of coming from the academy days. 
Um, I was kind of upset at a ref for missing calls and stuff and pulling my jersey. And he said if my shirt was tucked in, he'd know when my jersey was getting pulled. Uh, so I kind of sarcastically tucked in my jersey to prove a point. And I think it's just kind of stuck from there. Um, ever since then, I've just been, you know, tucking my jersey. Even at Wake Forest, I played in with my jersey tucked. Um, so it's just kind of something that's stuck with me for, for quite a while now. I like it. It's distinctive. It's distinctive. Yeah, I didn't realize it. So many people didn't do it. Um, but yeah, so I guess it's a, a distinct characteristic. What coach has had the most impact on you, and what did that coach teach you? Um, I guess it would. My coach, when I went to Bethesda, kind of taught me, you know, Brett Colton was his name, you know, a lot of technical aspects, you know, took my technical game to the next level. Um, so I, you know, he has a big responsibility in me, you know, working on my game outside of the outside of practice, you know, working on it at home all the time, you know, working on my technique. Then after that, I went to the Bays and, you know, learned from Steve Nichols and Kevin Healy about, you know, just the passion for a game, you know, being hungry, being aggressive. Um, not that never lose attitude. Um, and, you know, I had my coaches at Wake that taught me different things. Uh, you know, it's, it's I, just learning a lot from the, from each stage of my life, just the different coaches that had their impact, input on me, uh, you know, learning different things from them that kind of culminated to where I'm at now. And hopefully I can continue learning more from Oscar and, you know, whatever coaches I have down the line in the future. Right. How do you how do you envision your career tra- trajectory? Does that does that vision include eventually a move overseas? Uh, yeah, that would be the dream. Um, you know, right now it's working hard with where I'm at. You know, and establishing myself in the MLS. You know, hopefully play for the national team. Uh, I mean, if if everything goes great, then yeah, a move to Europe would be awesome. But right now it's about you know playing well in the MLS and doing doing what I can here and trying to create a, a good name for myself. Yeah. Yeah. I do I want to talk I want to talk a good bit about FC Dallas, but first let's talk a little bit about the the national team setup. Through the through the early part of the season, who scored? I'm sure you know this website. It's you know not everybody loves it, but it's soccer's a really hard game to measure and they measure mm-hmm. they measure who are the who the top performers are in the league. You are number eleven in Major League Soccer right now, and um, yeah, it's it's like you know there's only yeah, there's only two Americans ahead of you, Dom Dwyer, I think, and Sean Davis at the Red Bulls. But uh, that's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, you're, this is early in the season for you, but you weren't selected for the U twenty World Cup in 2015. I think you had some yeah you had some call ups in that cycle. I believe yes. is that correct? Yeah. yeah. Yes. Have have you surpassed a lot of your peers in the past three years, or did the coaches just miss you in 2015? Uh, no, I I mean I was called in in those camps. I remember the very last camp I went to. I didn't really have a good camp. Uh, looking back on it, uh, so I I don't think I don't think I've you know surpassed my teammates, or you know I'm not upset at the coaching staff for not choosing me for that U20 World Cup. You know. Um, I, I just think at that time there were definitely other players better than me um, that that I didn't I didn't show my best when when the time came to it uh, so it's 
definitely deserve it. That you know the guys that went on that trip, uh, they deserved it. Okay, fair enough. Uh, just kind of continue to work hard, and you know whatever happens in the future, you know, I'm, I know everyone else is working hard from that cycle, so you know it's on me to continue to work hard and try try to leap over those guys. You know, at that time, a lot of those players were professional, and I was still in college, um, so it's playing playing a little bit of catch up in terms of experience, gaining that professional experience. Right, right. Uh, when it comes to the senior team. What's your analysis of the World Cup qualifying failure? What happened? Uh, yeah, that's 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 a lot of a lot of mess that one happened uh, that happened. Um, you know, it's kind of unfortunate we couldn't get a result. Um, the last game, it kind of just looked like it, when we played, it kind of it kind of looked like oh, no matter what's going to happen, uh, we're going to qualify. Like mm-hmm. it's almost like into the percentages of you know i forget what the probability was but it was like high 90s that we would qualify and it kind of just that's what it kind of looked like watching the game um you know it'd be you know it'd be interesting to kind of what to be in that camp just to see like what players were doing day in day out i'm sure they're working hard but it just on the outside looking in it just looked like the energy wasn't there that last game to you know carry us to at least get a result on the road yeah yeah. Tab Ramos's system is the in the youth ranks is the four three three. And I you know, a lot of people talk about we should be using that in the senior team because so many of the younger players ha- are familiar with it. Uh, how comfortable how comfortable is the younger player pool with that system? How comfortable are you with that system? And do you think it makes sense for the national team to emphasize it in the future? Uh I mean, yeah, I think a lot of because there was an era where I think when all, we we were all growing up that every team loved the four three three with Barcelona playing that, and you know, yeah, I think we're it's a midfield heavy group with the you know the, the Tyler Adams, the Kevin Acosta's, the Weston McKinney's, you know, you can name them all. That you kind of want. The, it seems like our better players are in the center of the park, so you kind of want as many numbers, get as many of them on the field as you can. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it, I think that'll be something to look at for the team. You know, experiment if it doesn't work out, try something else. But I think it'll be a, a a good formation just to get as many of our high quality center midfielders on the field. Yeah. Okay, turn into FC Dallas. Uh, it's been a solid start to the season been an excellent start to the season for you a solid start for the team but you guys have several big games coming up in the next 30 days Uh, nycfc lafc the galaxy twice i think and toronto i don't want to say season defining but this run of games is important what's your mindset and what do you guys need to do better as a team yeah gotta just take it game by game so right now just focusing on nyc um you know, just three points at a trying to get three points at a time. Like you said, it's a, a tough stretch of the season. Um, but you know, you got to play the best in order to be the best. So you, you know, we gotta gotta you know, look to get three points in the road here against NYC. Um, we've been playing well so far, not giving up goals, and you know, I think we can we can do a little bit better finishing our chances. But we're, it's awesome that we're creating so many high quality looks on goal. So it's just a matter of time before they all start falling for us. Um, so, I mean, I think we're, we're in an awesome position right now and it's going to be an interesting test on the weekend against NYC. What should someone who watches a Dallas match be looking for to help them understand the game better? You know, beyond sort of just 
who's who's shooting and scoring? Uh, I think just paying attention, you know, how, how quickly we on transition, um, you know, the, how how the whole team is working defensively, but then you see so many numbers flying forward in the offense. Um, it's, it's, really, it's really good stuff to watch, you know, just how totally committed the team is. Now, Kellen is coming back from injury. I guess he's just started training this week. Is that right? And yeah, yes, yes. Can can you two play together? <laughs> uh, yeah, I would love to. Um, so we're actually roommates. Um, so it'd be it'd be really cool to play with them. We're, we're great. We're great friends off the field. Um, you know, so it'd be awesome to play against him. He's a high caliber player, really good. Um, so, you know, I've been trying to learn from him when, since he's been injured, he's been talking to me, trying to help me out with my game playing. So it's going to be awesome to play with him. I've been trying to learn from him, even from last season when, uh, when I wasn't playing. Uh, so it's, it's, it's going to be awesome. I hope, I hope I can play with him. Well, one, one sort of nerdy question, how much game film do you watch and how do you watch it? I've always been curious about this because I watch games a lot and I watch them back and, how do you do it? Uh, I try to watch, you know, the team's most recent game against uh, that whoever we're playing. The team's most recent game. Uh, I try to watch that through the MLS app, um, and then you know we have the uh, uh, we have a, a, also a, a website that we use to you know watch individual players. So I try to watch their touches um and on the on the on the ball you know how are they losing the ball maybe like where they like to get the ball that sort of thing so i kind of try to do my own little homework before each game hmm. i noticed that you're you're very alert when the ball's sort of about to bounce free and i know i kind of asked a question similar similar to this about calmness but like when it comes to recovering the ball is that uh, is that a teachable skill, or did you recover a lot of fumbles playing football on the playground growing up? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's definitely a, it's definitely something. It's just you know running back to win second balls. So it's, you know, when the golf ball goes past you, you're trying to turn, and you know, hopefully that header falls right into your lap, and you know that that first pass is very important because you can either set set a teammate up to lose it right after, or you can set it up with a good pass to you know, hope, hopefully the team possesses further out. Yeah. Okay. Just a couple silly questions here. Who was your favorite American soccer player growing up? My favorite American soccer player growing up. Um, you were, you were watching Iniesta and, uh, and Javi. So it was, yeah. different. <laughs> I was watching more international, right? Um, you know, Landon Donovan was always cool to watch. He was the biggest name, always scoring goals. Uh, so I, I probably have to say Landon Donovan. Okay. Okay. And my last question is, uh, what type of music do you listen to before games to get hyped? Uh, just hip hop and rap, you know, any particular artists or just kind of. Yeah. You know, give know. me, give me an artist you've been, you've been uh, jamming to lately. Artists. Um, you know, J Cole just dropped an album. So I was listening to him right before the game. Um, you know, some 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 Drake is in there. Some Kendrick. Sure. Uh, so yeah, no, nothing nothing too underground uh, with me. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. Haven't talked now. Can you think of any questions you wish I had asked? Um. No, I can't. Can't really think of anything. I feel like we hit on everything with going to college and you know doing the four years. 
was good for me. Uh, you know, some players are ready to go right out of high school. Just depends on the player. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it seems like there's a little bit, uh, for a little while at least, a little bit of a PR disadvantage to having gone to college, at least in terms of like people thinking of you as a as a top prospect. Because I, I feel like a lot of people are just aren't aware of how good you are yet, you know? And um, Yeah, I mean, there's definitely that stigma of that, you know, college soccer is terrible soccer, which is, I mean, definitely true for some schools, but, you know, some schools try to play the right way. Um, and, you know, players are actually getting better while they're there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's, it's, it's a terrible stigma, but it's rightfully so also with the three-month schedule or, you know, all those games in three months and not the spring is a kind of tough to fight that that stigma that's around college soccer but you know i think it's still a viable solution for some players that just aren't ready to go straight out of high school right well obviously it is um congratulations on an incredibly strong start to the season and um wish you all the best of luck thanks again for your time no problem. Thank you. Thanks for having me on the podcast. And that's a lifestyle that we never knew. We never knew. Go at a revenue for the revenue. Holly Berry or Hallelujah. Pick your poison, tell me what you do. Everybody go respect the shooter. But the one in front of the gun lives forever. Okay, hey Greg. Bells, how are you? I'm doing pretty well. Uh the big news. In the last couple of days, is Toronto faltered at the threshold of glory in Guadalajara last night, and given the way it ended with a Michael Brett Bradley penalty that landed in the Pacific Ocean, now's a good time for us to do an episode we've been thinking about, which is, well, why don't you frame it for us? Well, I think I think the question we've kind of been asking each other is: Is it time to forgive uh, the the players on the field in Trinidad and start to welcome them back into the U.S. national team picture. Right now, now we should we should acknowledge that Sarah, it sounds like from Dave Sarakin's press conference yesterday, he's not going to call them up in May and June. So it's gonna be it's gonna be again a younger lineup. But we're, we're talking about forgiving them for the sort of the 2019 tournaments. Right. I mean, that's that's where we're that's where the attention is directed at the moment. Right. Are, are they are they are they banished wholesale or will they they still have a, a part to play going forward? Right. Now, Sarakin says they will have a play, part to play going forward. I'm going to try. I'm going to sort of represent the well, let's call it the banish contingent. <laughs> well, <laughs> banish you have them more forever. To, yes. And you, you have more to work with now after after the. Uh, the second leg. Yeah, that was a that was a that was a pretty bad penalty he took. What was he doing there? So so you have the penalty and then you also have I I feel like even Altador being injured, like Altador coming off injured, uh gives sort of the the critical uh fans license to say he just doesn't come up with it when it's needed most. Absolutely. That's the that's the word going around on the internet. I've, Classic yeah, I've Josie. Seen that. Classic Josie, just like the 2014 World Cup, you know, can't stay fit. And so, so the the position I think is these guys they presided over the worst defeat in probably U.S. soccer history, the loss in Cuba. Um, 
Bradley was Bradley wasn't necessarily listless himself, but he was the captain of a listless side. He's 30, 30 years old, going on thirty one here. He's not mobile. He's not getting any more mobile. He uh, he's not good in the attacking third. Sure, he can spray a diagonal ball to the to the corner, but what what good is he? Let's get rid of him. Altador, I think the argument's a little less strong in that case, but let's stick with Bradley for the moment. All right, we'll tackle Bradley first. Yeah, you don't you 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 think we should forgive him? Bring him back I, to the fold. I forgave Bradley the night of the game. I I have the night of the Trinidad loss. I don't have any. I don't place really any blame on Michael Bradley. Uh, I think one of the definitive sort of critiques came out uh, a couple of days after that uh, disaster. Uh, final third on Twitter released a thread of gifts that uh, sort of painted the picture of, of how ineffective we were. And Bradley featured in a lot of those. And it was a matter of, like, you know, Bradley doesn't hit a penetrating pass. Bradley uh, plays it too safe. We can't build with Bradley in there. And that's probably true, but it's I think it's less of a of a critique of Bradley and more critique of the, of the tactics of the game, which was to leave Bradley in the center of the park by himself. Bells, I, I know we talked about the, uh, the Italy playoff game uh, where they were playing they're in need of a goal to qualify for the world cup. And there was that clip of uh, Italy's manager uh, in the closing moments, looking over at De Rossi yep. and trying to bring him into the game. And De Rossi is just like baffled. Right. And he's he's pointing at himself, and then he's pointing over at uh, I think uh, uh, who I don't even remember who he's, he's pointing at a striker, saying, "Why in the world would you be putting me in uh, in a game where we must score a goal?" Um, you know, if you wanted to, you could go through the video of De Rossi once he got onto the pitch and say, "Here's De Rossi not making an incisive pass," but I feel like that's missing the point. The point is, mm-hmm. why is Bradley the guy you're relying on? to be making those passes like he needed you had Sasha question you brought Sasha question into the team uh Bruce Arena called up question he called up Bellhopper he didn't play either of those guys and then we're criticizing Bradley for doing for not doing things that he never does I totally agree that's a tactical it's a tactical error on on Arena's part we've talked about it many times on this podcast it seems like it's not really Bradley's fault that he was in an in a please destroy us empty bucket midfield. So, yeah, I agree. What about his role as a captain? And well, his, his the team just being inconsistent, like consistently crap every right. other game. So you have that criticism of Bradley, and I think it's kind of tied to some bizarre criticism that he can't come through in the clutch, and, and you see this emerge again with the missed penalty uh, in the CCL final. Uh, you you even kind of see hints of it when they when people say he took the easy way out coming from Roma to MLS to begin with and he's not being challenged. Well, I mean that might be true. You know, Toronto FC probably doesn't play at the same level that Roma plays. Probably, uh, but but Michael Bradley is uh, one of the best players on the field every game for Toronto FC, and in turn is one of the best players on the field in every game uh, that he's in of in the MLS. Uh, he's he's leading a team that just took every trophy they could win besides the CCL final that they they lose out on penalties. So I guess my question becomes: All right, if you think Michael Bradley's not the guy, like you're going to suddenly turn and say, "Well, it should be Will Trap." Like, how do you go from the best center mid in MLS to saying it should just be this other MLS center mid to play the six instead? Right. 
That's so good. who else? Who else is going to do it then? If you don't think it's Bradley? Well, the argument is uh, he's going to be 35 when the World Cup is played in Qatar. Qatar, and I always mispronounce Qatar every single every single time I say it. Uh, I intentionally alternate every time. <laughs> He's he's not, he's gonna be thirty five by then. So why should we even bring him? Why should he get one more cap with the national team if he's if he's gonna be too old by the time the World Cup happens? Let's let's figure it out with other players, whether that's Will Trap or you know, I don't know whoever it is. Uh, I don't I don't necessarily think that's a, a, a terrible line of thought. Uh, and there are players that I I have already sort of uh, ruled out of contention for Qatar. Uh, I don't think, like I don't think Jeff, I don't think Jeff Cameron will play a part in in the 2022 World Cup or probably even qualifying. Uh, but Michael Bradley is just a different kind of uh, play. Like Michael Bradley is a machine, and that, that for me that's been his strength all along, uh, is that he is he is tireless. Um, and if and, and there's reason to believe I think that he could still he could still be that kind of a player. Uh, four years from now, so I, I don't, I don't rule him out because of his age. I think he could. It's very possible that he still has a part to play. You don't think he's lost a significant amount of mobility as a six that that hampers his effectiveness? Uh, I mean, I no, I don't. I don't think he has. I he he continues to be uh, like just an Iron Man. Uh, in every and again, this is against MLS competition. So if you think that that is a bad test, that's fine. But I don't. I haven't seen a drop off in his in his ability to control center of the field. Yeah, I missed seeing most of the the match last night live because I had a my indoor league. But I've, I've caught most of it in pieces, and he did, he looked really good playing center back. You know, he was uh, cycling possession, cleaning up a lot of messes. And finding passes, you know, he wasn't doing anything transcendent, but he was doing the the kind of like basic work to build the foundation of a successful team. Very well, I thought last night. Right in a cup final in a position he hasn't played probably since like U sixteen. So there's no reason in my mind to to just throw him into the trash bin uh, because you're upset that that there were a bunch of other errors that people made in a game against Trinidad and Tobago. Right. Chief among them, Bruce Arena's tactical error. So I guess my the way I come down on it is uh, just pragmatically, he's the best number six we have right now. And while I I I hear the argument that we should we should clear the decks and just give other young players a chance to to win that position, I st- I feel like they still have to they still have to win the position. If he's good enough and he wants to play for the national team in the Copa America or the Gold Cup, however that shakes out next next summer, then he should he should be the starter until somebody else shoves him out of the out of the way. That's that's capitalism. That's that's a meritocracy. <laughs> there really aren't that many, to be honest. Pure sixes, not, not pure sixes, no. Yeah. And and that's that's the other reason why I think Bradley still is so important or potentially so important because. Uh, that allows Weston McKenney to play his more comfortable position as an eight instead of, uh, you know, shoehorning him in as a six. Or Tyler Adams is kind of the same boat. Uh, you put Bradley in there to alleviate a lot of concerns 
uh, and then McKenney and Adams get to shine in in more uh, in sort of more natural fits, and and that's that's a lineup I would be very excited to see. Would be Bradley playing behind McKenney and Adams as two eights. Yeah, I agree. Uh, McKenney and Delgado, or McKenney and Adams, McKenney and Parks. Kind but you of, don't want to. We just don't want to see McKenney and Pulisic as, as the two eights, right? Actually, wouldn't hate that either. But I'd rather have him on the wing, Pulisic. All right. Um, I think we do have like. Uh, I talked to Ja'Cory Hayes earlier, and one of the points he made was I asked him about the four-three-three and whether he thought that was uh, a smart system for the U.S. to use. And he said, you know, he wasn't like, yeah, we should use it till we die. But he did say, he did make the point that we have a lot of talent at central midfield, which, you know, we all kind of know at this point. So you, if you want to get the most good players on the field at the same time, a four-three-three is is uh, a good way to go. And so I think that's true. Like McKenny Adams, Delgado, even Ja'Cory Hayes maybe someday we'll see. Um, Keaton Parks, Michael Bradley. Best to have three of those guys on the field at one time, I think, rather than uh, a Paul or Ariola or something, you know? Right. And even even like a Darlington Nagby, I mean, a lot of times we're kind of just adding him in anyway, even even if he's not in those three. So you've got a Nagby, uh, Sebastian Letjet will kind of be the same thing. That he'll probably he'll probably get into the picture, and uh, again they'll probably use him wide. Kellen Rowe is kind of in that same. They'll use these cent- these center mids, attacking mids into the wide spaces because we want to fit as many of them on the field as we can. Right. Well, because we, as you well know, we don't have any real wingers either. Right. Well, Jonathan Amon, Jonathan Amon <laughs> returned returned from injury on Sunday. Had a Couple dangerous moments. They have a huge game. I, I digress here, but I know I've got uh, you. I've got you spinning off on the winger tangent. <laughs> Norgeland, FC Norgeland has a huge match on Sunday. Uh, the away, the away leg of the Bronby tie in these playoffs that they're in, and I think it's a good chance we'll see Eamon starting again, starting for the first time in two two and a half months, and. You know, hopefully we can report next week that he scored a brace and Norchland is right back in the hunt for a Champions League spot. But yeah, let's get back on topic. Forgiveness. Are you going to invoke a formal sort of forgiveness? I know you're a lapsed Catholic. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, I mean, I I feel like their penance has been served. Uh, they they dealt with eight months of being just booed, or not eight months. I'm sorry, the last four months uh, being booed relentlessly. So. I'm ready to welcome them back into the fold. We don't need to have no. a ceremony? Okay. No ceremony. I've absolved them from my home. All right, so Bradley, I think, back in, and you're, you're with me on that one. Yes, I do. I mean, I, I want, I'll, to be very clear, I, I desire for one of the younger center mids to push him out of his spot over the next four years, and I think it will happen. But for now, he's the guy. He's the best six. Okay, so do we go to, go to Altidore next? Yes. So tell me, what, what did everyone hate about Altidore? Like, why are people so upset with Altidore? Besides just the U.S. as a team lost. Because yeah. no one seems to be mad at... There are guys no one's mad at, right? Like, no one was really mad at Yedlin. Uh, certainly no one's furious with Christian Pulisic. Uh, but Altidore is taking a lot of the heat. So what's going on with Altidore? Yeah, yeah well, another one is Nagby. Nagby sort of has largely escaped scrutiny as a result of the Kuva disaster. And um, 
you know, Omar Gonzalez has been erased from memory pretty much. <laughs> they did. They just, they just trotskied him right out of existence. <laughs> All the books that mentioned his name were burned. Before we get to Altador, why, why are Yedlin and Nagby getting off scot-free here? Uh, I don't think Nagby is getting off scot-free. And I think he uh, – so I was, I was going to tackle him next. But uh, Yedlin I do think is, is – no, one, no one's got a problem with Yedlin. And I think it's because Yedlin – one, Trinidad never attacked us. I mean, they scored, they managed to score two goals on us, but they didn't ever seem to attack us. Right. So Yedlin just didn't really do anything. You know, no one's pissed at Viafania. Uh, those guys on the outside just didn't have anything to do. Uh, yep. People are upset with Omar because Omar made some horrendous decisions uh, and even worse execution. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, was that a decision to kick it well, into our goal or? So the own goal was just some ridiculous fluke. But then his, uh, his slide tackle in the box that somehow he escaped a penalty. Like, yeah. in a CONCACAF away game, that's, that's like a nailed-on penalty. I have no idea how that didn't get whistled. Agreed. Uh, but, yeah, so uh, Yedlin and Viafania were just very – I mean, they're just neutral bystanders to this whole train wreck, I think, in most people's minds. I think I have a pet theory that Yedlin gets a lot of just gets a free pass because he plays in the Premier League, you know. Everybody thinks the Premier League is where it's at. It's they have the best television production of any league in the world and it's the best watched league outside of Liga MX in the US. So the fact that Yedlin is uh usually starting for Newcastle in the Premier League, he just gets uh he just gets a pass. Does, Which, do you think? Do you think any part of his past is also related to the fact that he just seems like a really cool guy? Like he just seems like a good dude. Yeah, he does seem like a nice guy. He's young. He's really good looking. Like he just has all. Like he's just a great. Like uh, I don't know. Like a great avatar of the U.S. right now. Yeah, he also enjoys the. He also enjoys the the phenomenon that you described in our last podcast with regard to Christian Pulisic, which is that people believe that. Uh, potential is sort of realized on a linear uh, yes, scheme, yeah. and so he's only going to keep getting better. Never mind that he's already twenty four years old. But anyway, right. but anyway, Altador. Let's go back to Altador. Okay, Altador didn't ex- escape any of this. Altador is taking as much or more than Bradley, or th- those two. I think are bearing the massive brunt. Yeah, they're the most. They're the two most visible for sure. I think Altador. There is some fairness in the accusation that he was listless in the game. There was the there was the clip of him, you know, losing the ball and then kind of like throwing his hands up and not running back. That that kind of made the rounds. So I mean, he he. There's a little bit of I think I was upset at that. I mean, what fan wasn't mad when they saw him do that? Um, he can't stay fit. Uh, and then just sort of the the sort of simplistic argument. Hey, he was he was a leader on this squad that that is going to be forever that that will forever stink of the shame of failure. So let's give new guys a chance at striker. Okay, so those are all pretty good points. Uh, I I have a lot. It's not uh, it's not such an easy case as Bradley to to make uh, an Altidore's defense. Like you, I don't think you could really blame it on uh, the manager, uh, unless unless you want to try to say Josie had just played in a track meet of a game three four days earlier, and 
how could he have been expected to, uh, you know, work at a really high rate for a full 90 minutes. So he had to pick his moments. Yeah. Well, could we charitably say that? So he was picking his moments when he loses the ball and they're immediately running the other way. He's saying, okay, not my job. My job is to have the energy, uh, five minutes from now when another ball gets played up that I can try to make a break on. Yeah. That's the most char- charitable read I can give on his, on his energy level. Yeah. And that ball never came and his chance never really came. And, uh, which is too bad. I, I guess he's a little less, he's a little less likable for me personally, because you do see him like he's a, he's a bit of a flopper. Uh, and for such a big guy, it just looks ridiculous when he flops, you know? Yeah. He, he picks, he picks weird times to like pick fights. Doesn't he? Like last year in the, in the playoffs, in the MLS playoffs, like he just, picks weird times to lose his temper. He was suspended for a game and qualifying because he like insisted on getting a yellow, uh, picking up an additional yellow card when he was already on one through the earlier games. Um, so there, there is that sense about him that he, he almost like wants to get out of it. You know, he wants to, yeah. did he? Yeah. He, uh, he, I don't remember which game he was suspended for now. I think he got suspended at the end of the Costa Rica game. So we're losing two zero and he, he decides that's the time to like, press and press and press, uh, you know, in the margins of the rules until the referee has no choice but to give him a yellow card. And then he's suspended for Honduras, and we almost go out of qualifying right then and there. Yeah. And that, that yeah, that that episode you mentioned where he where he got into a fight with the New York Red Bulls. With question, right? Yeah, well, he, he tried to, like, put his big chest in Tyler Adams' face when Tyler, yeah. when Tyler Adams sort of stepped to S- S- Sebastian Jovinko and then Altador, you know, flopped and tried to get question sent off on a red card, which was, I don't know, ridiculous. Embarrassing. Yeah. It's embarrassing. It, it was embarrassing. I agreed. And then, and then there, apparently the two teams had a fight in the nightclub tunnel on the way out of the, <laughs> on the way off the field, <laughs> the red tinted tunnel. Yeah. The red room. Yeah. I've been in a lot of bars like that with that kind of lighting. It never, it never, it, dudes who are it, trying to throw their chest out. It's right. <laughs> never brings out the best. Never brings out the best. So, yeah, I think there's, I think likeability. I feel there's a likability factor there. He's not, he's never been a world class striker. There's no, I don't think there's much disagreement there. We got some promising young guys, one in particular named Josh Sargent coming up through the ranks. All right, well, so this that was going to be – so my one sort of defense here for Altador was going to be we have no one else. Like, we just don't. So you, we, we're, we're all crossing our fingers for Sargent mm-hmm. uh, and and <laughs> Gio Reyna. But the, the fact is I feel like Altador has a place on this team almost by default. Yeah, I have to agree. You saw it even last night. He's an excellent, he's an excellent passer for a, for a striker. He finished. He finished his chance last night. That big one. Uh, he's pretty good. He's a pretty good player. <laughs> I don't know. I don't really forgive him, but I'm, I'm willing to let him come back in the fold because we just don't have any other choices, as you noted. Right. So yeah, it just comes down to: Do you want him, or do you want do you want to pin your hopes on Dom Dwyer, or Jazzy Zardes? Yeah. Dwyer's even less likable than. Altidore. 
I like Dwyer. Do we not he, like Dom Dwyer? I enjoy Dom Dwyer a lot. Maybe uh, it's because he was a Kansas City uh, player for a while, and that's my my the, like my neighborhood. Yeah, I mean, he's also a, he's also just likes to mix it up and flop a lot. But maybe we need that. We maybe we need some of that on the national team. Well, how about this? Outdoor will be a frustrating even even if he comes back, he's going to be a player that frustrates a fan base. But he'll at least have moments where he does something that helps the team. Is that, is that fair? Mm-hmm. Uh, he's at least a competitive advantage over the, the current uh, replacements available. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I think there's no, there's no disagreeing with that. And any, anybody who argues, well, he, I don't care, we still need to banish him, is just sort of being stubborn and ridiculous at this point, I think. Because he, he's, all, he's the best striker in the pool right now. And even if Bobby Wood has an incredible run of form, he's the second best striker. Who, you know, if Josh Sargent bangs in ten goals next fall, Altidore's still the second or third best striker in the pool. So, seems like he's got to get called up. Yeah. Next summer, and he's only twenty-seven, I think. Yeah. So I think he's he's looking at like thirty-one for Kate's uh, hurt Cater. So. Yeah. I mean the. It, Again, that's plenty of time for a kid we haven't even heard of to, to take his spot. But you mean four uh, four years is plenty of time for that? Right, yeah. right. Uh, oh yeah, Gio but, Gio Reyna will be um, a regular <laughs> sub off the bench at Real Madrid by then. There we go. I'm, I'm surprised you went that conservative with Gio Reyna's <laughs> career. <laughs> Why don't we talk a little bit more about the Champions League? We got another Mexican champ. It seems inevitable in retrospect now to me. <laughs> uh, like, was it inevitable that would even happen in this most crushing way where uh, all seemed to have been lost after the first leg in Toronto only for them to miraculously... I don't, it, was, it didn't even seem miraculous. No. Uh, but for them to uh, put themselves back into position, uh, a chance to, to win it outright in the last 90 seconds... Yeah, I mean, the, the truth is, my my opinion is, if they played, you know, if they played like six more, ten more ties, Toronto would probably win six or seven of them. They're the they're the they're the slightly better team, it seems like. But you're not the better team unless you win. So, right, it's one of those where it's, it's almost like credit to Chivas for going into Toronto and sort of pulling off a miracle there. I mean that that game seemed that result seemed to not fit the. Uh, the actual play of the game more than last night's result, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like Toronto was, were better yesterday and they won 2-1. I thought Toronto were better in the first leg uh, and they lost 2-1. Yeah. Well, let me ask you this. Were you crushed by the loss? I mean, are you? Um, were you? were did you get emotionally invested in Toronto's success? Uh, I did for a couple of reasons. One, I hate, I hate seeing all the ridiculous comments now about how uh, you know Bradley folds and under pressure, and how uh, the, you start to see all these sort of standard MLS hot takes about how the league remains a joke or whatever else. It's a third-rate uh, organization, um, all on the all on the balance of a couple of penalties when Toronto had already dispatched two Mexican powers uh, before before this one. Yeah. Uh, so there, it's just sort of a sample size situation, like. Toronto's good. MLS is getting better every year, and 
Michael Bradley missing a penalty is such a non-issue for me because it, on the U.S. national team, there's never a situation where Michael Bradley will be taking a penalty kick. Right. He probably wouldn't have taken one last night if Altidore had stayed fit or not. Altidore, Vasquez, yeah, Vasquez had had to come off. Bradley's your eighth penalty kick taker in, in her most situations. Right. You feel like the MLS could an MLS team could win it next year, or was this kind of a one-off? Because most MLS teams are not as deep as Toronto is, and even Toronto's depth was really tested in this in this championship run. Uh, you know, that's t- like if anyone's going to win it next year, it will probably be if any MLS team would win it, it would probably be Toronto again. They've had the best chance of any other uh, side, so. Uh, no, I mean, <laughs> despite me just saying MLS is getting better, uh, a Mexican side is much more likely to win it next year. Yeah. They'll be prohibitive favorites. I guess Atlanta, you know, Atlanta is starting to build the depth and has a chance at Supporter Shield or MLS Cup so they could qualify. NYCFC is seems to be uh, increasingly strong. And FC Dallas, too, is having having a good start to the season. Let's let's talk briefly about Delgado because that was a that was a huge huge miss. How much of a mark against him is that for you? Well, I feel like you kind of know my my take on these is that uh, that those misses suck. Uh, ch- again, chance for Delgado to be this ridiculous hero and what a moment it would be. Uh, but it's just that it's it's a moment. It's a sample size of one. Uh, attempt and the expected finish rate on that attempt no matter how like how much the eyeball test is like he has to score there you know play elite players score in that situation like two out of ten times three out of ten i mean it's it's just uh it's just something that happens in the game it's not an easy it's not an easy one that's for sure it's curling in kind of he, he, he had to let it come across his body to his right foot i certainly wouldn't have finished it <laughs> <laughs> well no i i think the the major the major point and i think people will start to get more like uh start to gain a little perspective on these is even the easy ones like are not easy like there just isn't there just isn't like there aren't really high percentage chances in soccer outside of uh tap-ins on rebounds like if you're trying to hit a moving ball first time like it just you're more likely to miss no matter how good of a chance it looks in real time those those just get missed routinely i saw paul carr tweet it was a 0.47 expected goals okay chance that's that's a pretty good chance then yes it was it was i mean it's such a it's such a letdown you you want for the kid you just want him to have that moment uh that benny fail Haber against mexico moment oh it would have been so it would have been so glorious i mean he would have probably gotten contract offers from big Mexican clubs as he was leaving the stadium. <laughs> right, on the balance of his entire play plus that goal, uh, right. for sure, for sure. Yeah, and th- you're right, those are those are goals that I think professional teams are starting to get more statistically minded now. Uh, but in the past, for sure, those kinds of emotional moments, you know, Andre Arshavin and Roman Pavlyuchenko, I think, uh, made millions of dollars off of tiny sample size performances. But Delgado still had a pretty good game, right? He had the assist on Javinka's goal. It wasn't like a, it wasn't like a world class setup, but it was a very tidy and quick 
correct decision outside of the boot pass to to create that chance for Seba. Mm-hmm. And he again, it's the same thing you always say about Delgado. He put it in the spot where Giovinco got to work with it for maximum effect. Yeah. Uh, Giovinco didn't have to waste uh, any of his angle or any of his steps to uh, take on one defender to score a goal. I do worry though about you know with that miss, like where the goal is going to come from in the national team. You if because you know you want to see somebody who can who gets that chance and puts it in the back of the net. You know, I think like like Josh Sargent seems to be that kind of player, but we're going to need our midfielders to do it too. And uh so far McKenney hasn't shown that he's uh he's got the touch in the final third. Delgado apparently doesn't have the final touch. Uh, well, I just I'd just be really cautious about sort of making that kind of sweeping general. I mean, to draw that conclusion again off of that's that one now, if you want to say Delgado just doesn't, it's, he's just not really a scorer. Like, he doesn't find himself in those situations very often uh, for Toronto. Like, I get that. That's fair. But I wouldn't say because he missed that, we can't rely on him. If you give him the exact same scenario four more times, uh, you know, out of those five, I bet he scores two, you know. Yeah. Okay. I'll try to be less reckless in the future. <laughs> Wait until he misses five of those. Again, Wondolowski is like the most prolific goal scorer in MLS, and you know it doesn't. He still has the miss on the one, on the one chance that everyone remembers. So, right. uh, there's just it's just a sample size and a narrative, uh, narrative weight that Delgado's miss carries. There were probably there were probably similar misses in that game yesterday that we barely even think about because they didn't happen in the, in the 90th minute. Well, I think that covers it from our from our angle. You got anything? Any other thoughts on that game? Um, no, we'll, they'll come back next year. I'm, I'm, I'm going to already reverse my statement from my earlier reversal and say Toronto wins it next year. Whoa, they're getting older, man. They're getting older. <laughs> Michael Bradley's a machine. I, this is all contingent on Toronto shelling out the money to Giovinco. I guess that's that's not finalized yet. Oh, it's his so, contract up this year. His, uh, I don't know if it's this year. Or it's coming up, and he's already he's sort of made some he's made public some comments that uh, he's ready to start talking. Toronto are uh, dragging their feet. Mm. Interesting. Pay the man. Pay the man. Like I want to watch him. You like pay him, please. Yeah, he's like you said last week, the difference maker in North America right now. We got a busy couple of months coming up for the podcast, and the next few weeks are going to be quiet. But we got three U.S. friendlies. We're going to try to do immediate reactions to, and there'll be a roster roster release episode, sort of a lineup episode. And I think we're going to be covering Mexico a little bit in the World Cup, and we'll we'll I think we'll have an episode explaining why we're going to do that. Does that sound all right, Greg? That sounds fantastic, but we're all we're all Mexico fans for this summer. Yeah, it's important that Mexico do as well as possible from the Bells' perspective. So that does it. Thanks, Greg. Thanks everybody for listening. Take care.